Hey there, my name is Jessie Smith and I'm an employer brand specialist here at UiPath. Experimenting is a part of our culture, so we decided to create a series of podcasts where we interview different employees to find out who they are, what projects they've been tackling, and why they choose to work at UiPath. You can find all our episodes on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. I was really honored to speak with our next three guests, and I hope you enjoy listening. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This episode, we are honoring Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month, which occurs every year in the month of May. This month is about paying tribute to the generations of Asian and Pacific Islanders who have enriched the fabric of our country and made it what it is today. The pandemic has brought a huge spike in violence and hate crimes towards Asian communities. It is not just about stopping Asian hate. Now more than ever, it's about supporting Asian businesses, listening to Asian storytellers, and protecting Asian communities. I have three guests joining me for today's conversation. Gwen Chen, Kitty Lee, and Sam Cho Latimer. Welcome to the show, everyone, and thank you so much for being here. To kind of start off the conversation, um, Gwen, I have a question for you. What does being humble really mean to you? How has it impacted your life? And have you been in situations where being humble wasn't valued? Sure. Thank you for inviting me, Jesse. Yeah, of course. So growing up in China, humble is ingrained in my DNA. It really decides uh, how I approach things and how I behave in a group. So there are two old sayings um, that I want to share here that runs really deep in me. So one of them is, you know, beyond sky, there are even higher heavens. And beyond um, talented people, there are more talents. So meaning stay humble because there are people better than you. Another old saying is um, among people, there are always at least one I can learn from. Yeah, to be specific, among three people who are walking with me, there are always at least one I can learn from. So what that means to me, obviously, as I mentioned, it really decides how I behave. And coming to the States uh, to pursue my graduate um, education and then entering to the corporate world, I experienced a huge culture shock. (laughs) Being humble in many occasions so put me in a very uh, disadvantaged um, situation. I was considered as not contributing enough, meaning um, usually I didn't um, raise my hands or take the lead unless I, I had done a ton of work or preparation on the topic. And a lot of times I overthink things. And uh, before I speak, I always wonder, is this a good point? I wonder and wondered until other people said everything on my mind and I had nothing or very little to add upon that. So the results are usually, you know, my colleagues thought I'm not active active in group discussions or the project leader um, ended up being somebody else, although I might be more capable of leading that. And even as a mom, I don't want my children to be humble because I, I, I had so many doubts on that um, value. And I want them to be seen, to be heard. And of course, I want them to lead. Thank you for sharing that. And especially, I think, instilling that in children at a young age to be their own advocates is really important as well. Yeah, of course. 
I think it's really interesting that you're instilling your children with this idea to be more confident because I feel like growing up as an Asian American, I try to embody like that work hard, achieve anything kind of mentality. And it was like my parents that almost always humbled me a little bit because I would come home with any of the achievements, whether it was like a report card or a competition that my team had won. And I remember for some reason, they would always be very lackluster in their response. But as soon as it was their turn to talk to like other Asian parents, that's when all the accolades are like repeated. Um, so it's definitely this interesting conflict that I had within myself where I was like, I had to go and be the best. But when I brought it up to people, it was always like, oh, it was never a big deal. Like, I just did what I had to do kind of situation. So I'm really happy that you're kind of being a part of that change and rearing like Asian American children. Because I think getting that from your parents is a big form of validation that like kids really strive to receive from their parents. Yeah, I'm uh, sort of building upon that. I, uh, I feel so happy that my, my son is always very confident and uh, always uh, willing to share his opinions. And uh, I basically, I literally learn every day from him. <laughs> you know, I am, I'm the extreme of being humble and he's extreme of being confident sometimes, in my opinion, <laughs> too confident. <laughs> I mean, the pendulum swings both ways, right? <laughs> it's hard to get it in the middle. Yeah. So Gwen, when you found out about UiPath, was one of our values of being humble, was that, did that kind of influence you to come? Or was that sort of something that you were like, hmm, I don't know if I want that value to be a part of a company, company that I work for? Yeah. So when I was when I was doing my research um, to prepare for interviews two years ago, I came across the word humble on UiPath's website. I've never seen the company put humble as their core values, and UiPath put humble ahead of all other values. That struck me a lot. So having been in the company for almost two years, I uh, see humble in many in many people and in many places. Um, so some examples I have in mind. So my manager, um, he encourages all of the people on my team to express their opinions on team meetings or because people come from different backgrounds, some people are just quiet. But my manager give everyone opportunity to speak and he actively listens as well. And another example is my bigger team we do post-release retrospective and in-team uh, interviews to identify gaps and opportunities. And we do follow-ups and uh, actions um, after that. Um, so basically I see they're showing, uh, they care and they listen and there are some follow-ups after that. That really um, um, helped me to rethink what humble means in my culture in the West in the corporate world. So now being humble has different meanings to me, but there's nothing wrong with being humble itself. You just need to tweak it a little bit, tailor it a little bit to different audience, different settings. In the corporate setting, humble can mean you do your homework, be prepared um, so you can move the projects uh, forward without wasting other people's time. You speak up, have your own voice 
uh, based on your homework, based on what you hear in the meetings from others, based on interactions with others, with your peers, you communicate your opinion and uh, again, again, until you get your message crossed. And then also, you also be open-minded. You make decisions based on the, um, based on discussions, but you have to be open-minded in the process of formulating your opinions. And then finally, I think you have to execute the decisions uh, you've made as a group. I'm a strong believer um, of execution, execution, execution. And I think a perfect plan without execution won't take you anywhere. And it, it requires great. My interpretation of being humble in the, in the business world in the West, in a UiPath really uh, helped me rethink about it and then um, interpret it in a different way. I also think your interpretation of being humble just allows more space for everyone to show up as their authentic selves and to be really efficient as well. When you think about being humble as doing your homework and coming to prepared to meetings, humble maybe is the stuff that people don't always notice, but they take it, you know, take for granted. But that actually is a lot of hard work and dedication. So thank you for right. sharing that. Okay, Kitty, can you talk about the myth of good and bad stereotypes and how overall stereotypes do a disservice to everyone? When I was growing up. Um, in school, uh, I realized that there were a lot of things that people were expecting from me that were definitely not something that they should expect from me just because I'm an Asian person. So this includes, like, you know, stereotypes saying that Asians are good at math. Like, even though that can be perceived as a good thing in reality, it's definitely not. There were students, Asian students, who were um, bullied because they were not good at school. They were not good at math. And that really hurt their uh, confidence in doing good schoolwork and making friends. And I think this, this is really important for a lot of other races. Like, we should not have these, like, judgments or expectations placed on us just because we're a different race. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have any similar experiences with that. Yeah, it's when I was in high school, I remember doing well in any sort of like STEM field, math, science. It's when you talk about it with friends, it's almost taken for granted. Like, oh, of course you did good on that test. And I think it really does some damage to like a growing person's identity when suddenly like that hard work you put in into like studying and learning these concepts is all kind of invalidated by just the fact that oh he's asian of course he did well and on the flip side i remember uh my brother and i went to high school um, at the same time he's two grades below me so we were in high school for about two years together and honestly some subjects like they come a lot easier to some people and for others it's a bit more difficult and I remember my brother would struggle with like math classes a lot and just the way that my parents would approach that situation, like always comparing um, like how I would do to how my brother would do, I could see like how that affected him. He tried really hard to do anything he could to kind of like 
reach achievements in areas other than um, like academics because he felt like he was disadvantaged already. And it's it's really unfair because I think my brother is a really smart kid. I just don't think that he had the same opportunities to kind of prove himself because my parents had created such a high bar for him because of me, but also that creates such a weird dynamic between siblings. So there's definitely a lot to unpack there. Yeah, definitely. I don't have any siblings, but sometimes I wish I did. There's the flip side of that where when you're an only child, there's definitely a lot of pressure on you to do well, go through school with high grades. That can also be damaging in a different way. <laughs> yeah, even just the uh, the expectation of what you should be doing to reach all those extracurriculars and uh, success in the eyes of at least like my parents, it was very rigid. You know, you had to do well in school. You had to join all these academic clubs. But when I was in high school, I mean, I was in show choir. That was like my thing. I remember Glee came out when I was in high school and I was like, oh my gosh, representation is so important. (laughs) Um, I was definitely the kind of kid that whatever he got involved in, he just wanted to be like good at it. Um, Probably goes back to trying to receive that external validation. But uh, even our show choir, I mean, we were nationally ranked we went to competitions like across the country and my parents literally only came to like one show out of like the four years that i had done this and um (laughs) it's it's like kind of sad but funny but like their uh response um once i saw them after the show ended was like you guys smile a lot and i'm like yes we're performing (laughs) (laughs) um but even reaching that sort of level um, in something like choir or the arts, it was almost like not good enough because it didn't follow that guideline that they had for me. It's definitely a lot of expectations in a very specific way that I've experienced growing up. And I kind of wish that there would have been a bit more focus on things that I were passionate about, performing the arts. I definitely see a lot of, the majority of my peers in choir you know, were white. It was just really disheartening to see like everyone's parents bring like flowers and you know accolades after the performance you know also like go to all of them (laughs) and then to see my parents just go to one and have that response it's definitely a little uh it just highlighted like how different my experience was to other kids especially um in choir i guess and i will definitely be the first to admit like looking back on it show choir was weird like do not get me wrong we were like not the cool kids in school but i will say like everyone in that class was so passionate about it loved performing and it's like no matter where your strengths lie it's nice to have those kind of be fostered and nurtured um, rather than like redirected to something else that might seem more viable to a future career I feel like it maybe also plays into societal pressure that we put a lot more emphasis on IQ versus EQ or STEM versus the arts. Like I feel like the arts are still not taken seriously as a passion or profession. And so that also can kind of play into those stereotypes and and pressures that people feel throughout their lives. 
Absolutely. My parents were working immigrants, and I know that their focus for me as like the firstborn son, there's a lot of expectation to kind of do well, get a good paying job, and then like take care of the family because that's that responsibility kind of falls on your shoulders um, when you're like the oldest male kid. I think that focus on everything you do being towards your career is almost um, detrimental to that career path. Because I can definitely say, like, I was an extroverted kid, like, for a lot of my life. But even being in choir, I'm not saying I'm going to be on Broadway anytime soon, but it taught me so much about just soft skills, being confident in oneself, being able to be in front of a huge group of people and not feel, like, nervous or scared. I kind of wish there were like more Asian students in show choir. I think it would have been really helpful for a lot of different like formative experiences because I learned a lot in that class that I couldn't have in algebra or calculus or things like that. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, actually, um, I'm uh, having my son uh, taking art class, <laughs> although it is not show choir, but uh, I do see there are a lot of values in these kind of classes. I'm not envisioning him to be a, a you know professional artist. Um, my purpose of getting him in the class is to let him to be a creative person, and uh, in the meantime, I want to uh, want him to be to have a, you know more than one way of express himself. Right? You can express yourself with words, with writing. Uh, you can also express yourself with drawing, with painting. Exactly. It's like fostering that creativity, that artistic side. Like both sides of the brain need exercise. And if it's something that your son really enjoys doing, I think that's such a good avenue for you to kind of offer that support um, for him to pursue this. Definitely. And Sam. Being Asian is not a monolithic experience. Can you talk to me a little bit about the diversity and intersectionality within Asian communities? Yeah, of course. I mean, I this has been something that I've been dealing with since like a very young age. Um, I'm almost like a little bitter that Korean culture is so... I want to say like mainstream now. I don't. This is just from what I see on social media, K-pop fans, all that jazz. Because when I was a kid, a lot of my classmates didn't even know like where Korea was or that it was a thing. I remember being asked all the time, like, "Are you Chinese or Japanese?" And I'd be like, "Oh, honey, there's a whole third option here <laughs> that you don't even know about." I think there's a lot to be said in the fact that in America we have this tendency to just group as many people as we can in a box and kind of just place one label or identity over all these different peoples. And um, obviously, like I would love nothing more than for the Asian American community in the U.S. to feel united um, for a cause to fight towards our own equality in this country. Uh, but at the same time, we just have to recognize that countries in the Asian continent and all over the oceans, they have such different experiences. Like they've literally had their own history in reaching their own culture and identity. And for us to lump everyone together under one moniker is 
really doing everybody a disservice. Even just recently, less than a century ago, we had an entire war pitting different Asian countries against each other. Subjugation, a lot of destruction and devastation came from that, and it continues to live on in the stories of these survivors. So it's it's almost like, I don't know if I want to use the term like cognitive dissonance, but it's just a really conflictual feeling um, to grow up in a country where we were constantly treated with this one identity as Asian American, and then to grow up and realize, wait, there's so much more like under this umbrella that we aren't even discussing. Like the disparity in graduation rates, poverty rates, even within the Asian American community is astronomical. And um, for everyone to just assume that Asian people in the US are hardworking, intelligent, successful people is not helping those that actually need the most assistance. And um, speaking on how stereotypes can be bad, whether they're positive or negative, for people to see that image of, let's say, like the average Chinese American or Indian American who are amongst the highest earners in this country, and then to see someone who might not be doing so well that might represent a different nationality, it's really hard to justify that in a lot of people's minds to say like, oh, they must have done something wrong for them to be so down on their luck, instead of realizing that this blanket statement is just putting a lot of people um, on their back foot, and they have a lot more to prove because of that. Speaking on intersectionality, this has been, um, I would say, like a pretty new topic for me. This was something that I've discovered in college because as I was growing up, uh, I'd say like my formative years, like in high school, I was surrounded by a lot of white people. I grew up in a very predominantly like white community in high school. I go back home and I see it's not that way anymore, which I think is really cool. Brea is getting a bit more diversity. Love to see it. But at least while I was there, it causes shift in my mindset uh, where that proximity to whiteness really made me want to kind of stick to that avenue. Like that tokenism, it almost like triggers something in a young person to almost like want to reach that level of being special, I guess. Because at the end of the day, like that's what a lot of people want. They want to feel that sort of um, attention and validation for something that they honestly just identify with. And to go from that to college, where you suddenly have all of these very intelligent, um, outspoken individuals, you find yourself in communities where you understand that your experience is not just your own. There are a lot of people that have gone through what you've gone through, and now you have this group that you can kind of confer with um, and realize that there's a lot more to being an Asian American than just how you place yourself amongst other people. You know, growing up as like a gay Korean American, there's another <laughs> layer of, let's say, social nuances that you have to kind of maneuver. And especially being, as I had mentioned before, like the firstborn son, I remember growing up, there were always these questions like, when are you going to get a Korean girlfriend? Like, when are you going to start like a family with a Korean wife and kind of like carry on that name and legacy? And I was just over here like, probably never, but like, 
it's really hard to kind of reach that mentality with your parents who you are raised to like respect so much and kind of going against those wishes when it's something that you're not even actually like choosing for yourself it's just who you are causes a lot of i would say like tension for people to maneuver especially at such a young age i'm really happy to see there's a lot more discussion on intersectionality now like more than ever and uh, it's really nice to see a lot of younger people with access to the internet and social media kind of have that exposure and say like listen here's all this information available to you, all of these connections and people that you can meet who have similar stories. And um, I feel like it's really strengthening like the identity of what it means to be like a gay Asian male. There are definitely um, the good and the bad. You know, we're not a perfect nation, we're not a perfect people, but I'm just so thrilled to see that there's progress being made and that there are discussions around it now, as opposed to when I was growing up and thinking I was just the only person dealing with all of this. Yeah, I definitely agree. I also grew up here, but I was born in China. I still remember kind of what it's like over there. And I actually like really appreciate the fact that in the US, in North America in general, there's so many different Asian cultures. Uh, especially in the Seattle area. In China, you don't really see people from outside the country, from what I remember, especially back in that time. So, so I grew up on the east coast of Canada, and I was literally the only Chinese kid in my whole school. And there was one other girl who was from Laos, <laughs> who was Asian. <laughs> and we instantly became best, like, best friends. Um, I don't think I would have been able to have that experience in China. Um, like, I wouldn't have made friends who are from different Asian countries. I wouldn't have been able to really enjoy parts of their culture unless I traveled there. But over here, like, every day, if I wanted to have Thai food, I can go to a Thai restaurant. If I wanted to um, just meet people who are from other communities, I definitely can. And I think that's great. I think that's something the U.S. does a good job. Of course, they can do a better job, but <laughs> it's really, really nice. And I, I appreciate that um, so many cultures here are uh, very accessible if you go looking for it. Obviously, I'm biased because I'm also in Seattle, but Seattle has some really amazing food. And you can get to know so many different cultures by trying their cuisine and and just learning about it through food, which I think is such a accessible way for people to learn more about each other and just be more accepting overall. Yeah. Speaking of food, I want to chime in because food is definitely <laughs> a main part of my culture. So I used to live on the East Coast for three years. Um, see, so in North Carolina, there are not so many... Uh, Asians and uh, not so many choices, um, restaurants uh, choices. And moving to Seattle, I have I all of a sudden I have so many choices. Um, um, not only Chinese food, but also Korean food, Thai food, and uh, you know Vietnam Vietnam food and uh, other kinds of food, and even Indian food. So many choices. Um, it's definitely more diverse here. And I and I love being in a diverse um, community. Uh, I think it's 
I think good for my for my for my kids' education as well. They see people from different cultures, and um, he he learn from their cultures. He play with them every day. It's quite beneficial to him to know,、uh, you know, from a very young age.、Um, he see people's different culture and understands、um, to respect、uh, their backgrounds, their culture,、uh, which I.、Uh, Didn't get a chance to experience this when I was a kid. Yeah, I mean that's one thing that I'm. One of the things I'm so grateful for is like my my best friend、um, is Bengali, and even just us like going over to each other's houses and、um, like eating our parents' foods. It's it's such a bonding experience, honestly, to see something like so new and especially with like repeated exposure, like really learn to love it. I remember the first time、um, Proma came over to my house. She really did not like the smell or taste of kimchi, which, understandable, it's very pungent for first-time users.、Um, but it's something that I love, and especially like the ones my mom makes. It's just amazing. And now, like, oh my gosh, almost ten years into our friendship, like she. Craves it like anytime she has the opportunity to go over to my parents' place, she always asks for like to-go boxes and like Tupperware so she can take food back with her. But just having that opportunity to kind of like be able to share that with other people, it's just such a very like easy and deep way to connect with someone over something as simple as food. We all gotta eat. Well, thank you all for joining me today on the podcast. I was really honored to hear all of your stories and speak with you. Thank you again. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for、uh, thanks for putting this all together, Jesse. Thanks for listening, everyone. We are continuing to record and publish podcasts, so stay tuned for upcoming episodes. In the meantime, we also have a blog called Inside the Rocket Ship, where we feature different employees and take a deeper look into our technology. Stay safe, and we will see you next time on Inside the Rocket Ship.